Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast where it's almost time for the main event, the Rugby World Cup, just over a week away. The warm-ups games are done, Ireland's squad is in and to talk over all of it, I have Bernard Jackman and Mick Carney for company. Gentlemen, thanks a million for joining us. Very much for having me. Bert, you were down in Thoman Park a few weeks ago when we were chatting to you. This time you're in lovely outdoor surroundings. Can you tell us where you are today? I'm down in Bray, Presbury. Um, I'm director of Ruby at Presbury, and uh, the they're back. They're back. So, uh, fairness, our SCT and JST have been back for about a month, but um, they're back. So I'm just down down here now. We're getting ready for for training this afternoon. So, um, yeah, hopefully the Wi-Fi holds up, but it seems to be okay. Good stuff. We thought you were on a going out doing an early recce of of Marseille or something <laughs> like that. Beautiful <laughs> behind you, but no, I you, wish. I confirm wish, you're yeah. just in Bray, yeah. Just in Bray, yeah, but look, Bray's exotic, <laughs> exotic enough. But... Look, it, it's perfectly exotic. It's just not quite the south of France in no, you know late August, September. But listen, lads, we'll get straight into it. Um, so obviously the Ireland squad was announced on Sunday, and the biggest news, unfortunately, was the injury to or uh, on Sunday. The biggest news, unfortunately, was the injury to Keane Healy picked up in that game against Samoa, uh, looking like a five to ten week layoff five weeks being the the absolute best case scenario so unfortunately it's just not going to be enough for him to be included Jeremy Lockman comes into the squad the other bits of news around it an 18-15 split between forwards and backs but Birch is supposed to to get straight in with the big news itself it's Keane Healy missing out 125 caps worth of experience was always just an absolutely ideal person to have there in case of an emergency if something went wrong wrong with Andrew Porter Jeremy Lockman comes in has three caps worth of experience two of those coming in the last couple of weeks he finished the season very strong to his credit Lockman but obviously you're just talking about a massive gulf between the the two levels of experience yeah look it's a, it's a very hard look on on Keane obviously he's done incredibly well to bounce back from various injuries um He's evolved his game. You know, he's less about power now and he's more about, you know, just doing his role, giving his set piece um, stability. And probably from an Irish point of view, even though he's not a first choice player for Ireland anymore, obviously Porter is the first choice loose head. And I think we've done incredibly well to get the squad announced and, and heading to Paris, which is full strength bar Keane Healy. Um, so effectively our, our first choice 15 are fit, which I don't think any other country um is it has the luxury of saying um but I think Healy is a very important player for us because we haven't been able to produce a real strong depth chart at, at Loosehead. Um and uh you know there's a, it's a big ask for for Jeremy Lockman three caps and Farrell definitely wasn't in the plan. Farrell was hoping another loosehead would have came through and, and ideally have 15 20 caps to their name, it just hasn't happened. Um, and it is a significant step back in terms of what he's done so far. As a ball player, I think he's he's actually excellent in some ways, maybe a more comfortable ball player than Keane Healy, and that suits how Ireland play. But there is still question marks around him around set piece, particularly against you know uh, um, a South African or or a French or maybe even New Zealand team that we may play in a quarter final. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a bit of a blow, but obviously if Killer stays fit, uh, well then you know we, we should be okay. But um, it's a it's a blow for Healy, and but it's a it's an opportunity for Lockman. And you know, ironically or interestingly, he would have been told, you know, he would have been told on Friday that he wasn't going. Um, along with Jacob Stockdale and Thomas Stewart, and um, you know, they all had to play. Obviously, Lockman had to come off the, come off the bench. Um, and he probably knew coming off the bench, you know. You'd see a player going off in the discomfort Keane Healy was in, and yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity for him, and hopefully he he rises to the challenge now over the next six seven weeks. Mick, I'm sure you'd know Keane fairly well on a on a personal level from a good few years playing with him with with Leinster and Clontarf connections as well. Like just for the man himself and the player, an opportunity to be going to a to a fourth World Cup, it it probably puts a massive dent in his hopes of. Maybe he he might have been thinking about it too much, but all things going to plan by this time next year, he could very well have passed out Brian O'Driscoll as Ireland's record appearance holder. That's something now that probably looks a little bit in doubt as well. It's just a, a real tough blow overall for him. No, for sure. Absolutely gutted for Keane. As you mentioned, I I know him quite well personally. So um see him see him hobble off uh during the game the other day was uh it was heart wrenching stuff, you know, because he's obviously had it setbacks from an injury point of view. But you also look at, 
some of the opportunities he's missed out on. Now, don't get me wrong, he's had plenty of opportunities on top of that, but like he was he was ready to go on the lines, did his ankle um in the warm-up game for that against the barbarians. Um and now, you know, the, the final hurdle before this World Cup, as you mentioned, to, to go to his fourth World Cup, which would have been an incredible achievement. Um it's 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 very disappointing for him, but knowing knowing what he's like as as a person, um I've no doubt in my mind that he's he's still thinking that he's gonna get out there. Uh, he's just a, an unbelievably driven character, never throwing the towel, um, and he'll he'll be doing everything he can to get back within that five week timeline, so that if you know someone does uh have have an injury or um pulls up in in the Ireland camp in his position, he'll be he'll be ready to head out. Um, but no, gutted for him personally, and I know you know the the whole country feels the same way. Yeah, and Birch, that's probably a good point as well, where we said five to ten weeks, given his past and the way he's recovered from injuries. You look at last year in New Zealand when we all thought it was two or over when he injured that ankle in the, the game against the, the Maori. A few days later, he's he's playing in the in the test match itself. You would probably think he's the kind of guy where if you're talking a five to ten week injury, it's probably going to be around the five to six week mark when he's fit and available. And if Ireland can go deep in this World Cup, and look, World Cup's been what there are. There can be injuries along the way. We could well see him later on in the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And look, at he 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 added value to us in the fact that he can cover hooker as well, you know, from a scrummaging point of view. So if you had a, a situation like we had against Scotland and, our, you know, unfortunately, both our hookers have a little doubts over them. Our first choice hookers have a little doubts over him at the moment. So he was, he was, had an added value on the bench for that. Um I think he'll be doing everything in his power to get back as quickly as possible. And there is also warm-up games and fixtures for Leinster maybe where he could get one match in uh, and prove his fitness. So, yeah, don't write him off yet. But obviously, I think Ireland need to go semi-final, final for to have any chance of him uh, getting back. You mentioned the the hookers and obviously there have been a couple of injury doubts around Ronan Keller and Dan Sheehan. I think that the fact that Kelleher, Sheehan and Rob Herring are the three hookers that are going would probably lead you to believe that that one or both of uh, Kelleher and Sheehan are probably going to be fine for the start of the tournament. But um, worth mentioning Rob Herring and the impact he brought on Saturday, because I think for so long we probably have been talking about Dan Sheehan and about Ronan Keller and their explosive impact, try scoring abilities, but... Rob Herring is a player for a long time has probably gone under the radar in terms of international rugby. And I think in the last 12 months, you look at coming off the bench to score a try against the All Blacks last summer, a um, couple of good impacts in the Six Nations. And when he came on last Saturday, Ireland were in a little bit of a rut. Lineout was a bit all over the place and steered the ship very, very impressively. Hey, he's a very good player. And I know O'Connell um, has an incredible amount of time and respect for him um, and he may be a little bit of a forgotten man I actually think our three hookers are better than any other three hookers you know when you when you measure the, the collective, across, collective um, and, and Rob you know probably doesn't get game time if Dan and and, and uh, Ronan are fit but he's invaluable and he did exactly what Farrell would have wanted from him on the bench on, on Saturday he was there as the as the as the experienced you know probably leader that scrum he came on um, gave us some more parity in the scrum. We weren't dominant, but we gave us a, a little bit of solidity there. We were able to play away from it, and you know his line out. You know the line out just settled down, and that wasn't a criticism. Of Tom Stewart I thought Tom was a little bit unlucky. First one, Henderson drops and it's in his hands, and then you know we threw into the area that McFarland was was marshalling, and he's he's outstanding, and and you know then we lose a couple of fifty fifties. Then there's a, late, a miss lift and a late lift, and it looks like it's all his fault. But I think. Herring's just composure there and Ireland's ability to to just throw the space. Um and then we started to maul some more and everything just settled down. Uh and that's exactly what what they want from him. He's a very good set piece hooker. Mick, you played with him. Um and uh, you know, he you obviously scrum behind him and 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 you know worked in the lineup with him. But from what I can see, um, I just think he's got a very good throw, and he's probably he's been there, done that now, and that's what you you kind of want. Um, and he showed that at the weekend. Yeah, I think I think on that point, Birch, he's probably he's probably the best thrower that I ever played with. 
Yeah. Um, you know, he just gave gives the line out so much confidence. And as well, there's a level of um stubbornness about him around his throwing. Like you you'd know yourself from from playing hooker. He just he puts it in the same space every single time, you know. So like if the drill doesn't get to that space, he somewhat knows it's it's not on him, you know. Uh which is which yeah. is lovely. I I'd imagine it's it's a lovely feeling for a hooker because even though people at home are watching going, Oh, geez, that's that's an overthrow or whatever, um everyone in the lineout knows kind of in their heart of hearts that it's it's the perfect ball. We just didn't didn't execute in the line. And I think that's why Ulster's lineout has been so successful in in the last number of years. Uh is that he's just, you know, producing an, an unbelievable level of performance around the throwing side of things. And would probably yeah, have go go ahead, Bert. No, I, I I I watched him in the Viva warm up. Um and I got I obviously watched a lot of hookers warm up and I've never I, and I said this at the time, I've never seen the more natural, natural throw. He just he's he's the top of his game in that area. Uh, I'm not surprised, you know, in terms of drill, you know, that he's very comfortable that he's putting it on the money. Um and again, like when you look at how much so much of Ireland's play or, or attacking play comes from line outs. Um and the fact that we've had some wobbles there a little bit and you know, he played against England as well, so it's not totally separate to him but you know he, he may he may end up being a bench player you know um, because of that because of being able to come on and give you that certainty that you can not certainty but you can win your own ball but improve your chances of winning your own ball um, which is which is brilliant for us we want to have you know in the special positions we want to have different profiles who who add different things and um, I think that game for him will have done him loads of, loads of good in terms of confidence but also in terms of Strengthening his case for selection for the big games in the match twenty three, for the for the uninitiated, what do you mean when you say he's a one of the most natural throwers? Yeah, look at just his flight. Like it's like if you watch, you know, a brilliant free taker in hurling, or you know, a David Beckham's, you know, put a cross, put a cross in or a free kick. He just he's just at a different level than than most other. And I'm talking about like elite guys like Jamie George or you know Ken Owens or or. And he is, you know, Marshan. He's just that's his for me. When I look at him, like he's just a beautiful thrower. He has a beautiful technique, style, flight. Um, yeah. And again, as I said, like I don't like it sounds a bit um, perverted or something coming away, going, uh, "Jesus!" <laughs> like I, I was in all of it. Um, and obviously, like I was, a, it was a skill I struggled with. But like I said, I wouldn't normally watch hookers and 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 be blown away by it. Uh, and I don't know. Sometimes maybe it's like a golf swing. It's the it's the, the simplicity. Uh, there's beauty in the simplicity, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, yeah I get you. Um, in terms of some other bits, then eighteen fifteen split. Make given the versatility that Ireland have with some second rows that could fill in the back row, like like Ty Byrne and Ian Henderson and Ryan Baird. Would you be confident that they haven't left themselves shortchanged in the pack, or would you have preferred? A nineteen fourteen split with an extra loose forward. No, I I actually think I think the split is perfect. Um, you know, seeing South Africa South Africa go at seven one split on the bench, um, the other night would make me think we maybe should have gone nineteen fourteen. <laughs> we'll get um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like at the same time, with with the amount of versatility we have there, um, and as you mentioned, the the ability that uh our guys have to play across the back row and, and across the second row. I think we're, I think we're really well covered. And Bernard, then the, the knock on effect of the 18, 15 split is Stuart McCloskey picking up that, that extra backline spot. Now this day last week, when we were all on the pod, it was myself, you, Johnny Holland and Fiona Coughlin. And I think the unanimous call was that Stuart McCloskey would lose out. It would be 19, 14, I think though by Thursday, once the team was announced for the game against Samoa, we saw it was McCluskey and Robbie Henshaw paired together in the centre for the second time in three games. I think everyone probably realised at that point McCluskey was going to be in. It was going to be eighteen fifteen. Are you are you pleased with the the balance and makeup of that squad? Yeah, look look at I, as I said, I thought he would have lost out, and I still believe he'd lose out if it's a, if if it's nineteen forwards picked. But I am actually, and I I, I felt he would have been probably the most one of the luckiest. Irish players to lose out in recent World Cup cycles if he did. 
Um, so I think it's a good decision by Farrell. Um, as Mick said, we have a little bit of cover. Probably Keen Prendergast, who's the fella who'd lost out, you know, because of that decision, probably just made his, his run too late. I mean, McCluskey's had more high-profile games for Ireland, um, has kind of shown what he can do. And obviously, over the last, well, there's a 10 years for Ulster, he's been outstanding. So, look, I think I think it's the right call. Um, and, yeah, it means probably we don't have to overuse, hopefully, Gary, you know, um, as well. We can look after him because I think he's key for us now, particularly you saw him come on the wing, uh, you know, he covering wing as well. Um, I think he's the guy in the back line that we don't, him and Hugo are the two players, we don't have a, a clear backup who's got the same level of experience so um, I'm, I'm actually really happy for Stuart and, and obviously disappointed for Keane who I think has lost out to him but uh, I think the mix uh, um, makes sense for, for this Irish squad given the profile we have Yeah that's like it's Mick it's a kind of a horses for courses thing when you're talking about what a squad needs and while a lot of teams might prefer to have that extra loose forward if you look at if you look at the injury profile of Ireland centres over the last three or four years, we're always picking up one or two knocks between like the amount of the, the amount of times Gary Ringrose, Bondiaki and Robbie Henshaw are all fit and available to play. You could probably count that on one hand over the last few years. So it's clearly a position where there's a high attrition rate and Ireland are picking up injuries a lot. So no harm ultimately to to go belt and braces and throw in an extra body in there. Absolutely. What I find really interesting is that Stuart is probably the only kind of specialist back mm. in in the group. You know, excluding and that's, the and that's, probably, and that's that's ultimately why a lot of people thought he was going to miss the cut because he didn't have very, very much so. Yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, you're not like you're probably not going to play Stu at thirteen. Realistically, you know, he's your he old fashioned strong word, but he's your kind of like. Crash ball 12, get the arms free. A very Andy Farrell mode, really, in terms of uh how how he's gonna how he plays and how he's kind of impacted games in the past. Um so I just I, I I found it interesting to see that they went with a real real specialist 12. And that's as Birch mentioned, that's gonna free up that's gonna free up Robbie to to slip out to 13 if needs be. And uh you know, it'll be unusual, but it'll free up Gary to, to go to the wing if uh, if if we're in need of that as well. On the, the game itself, probably won't even spend too long talking about it, Birch, but any any concerns, lingering concerns heading into the World Cup over it, or was it just one of those strange games? Like we saw we saw a lot of strange results over the weekend and strange flow of games. South Africa hammering hammering New Zealand, which will come to England losing against Fiji, Scotland scoreless for the first half against against Georgia at home. Two weeks out from a World Cup, there's a lot of strange things going on with players that subconsciously or not are probably trying to protect themselves a little. You mentioned Jeremy Lockman coming off the bench for Keane Healy, and it has to be in the back of his head oh. that he's not just coming on to play a game here. He's ultimately, this is probably going to be his shot for a World Cup squad as well. So there's so much going on. Would you be reading much into no. the, the way the Samoa game went? No, I don't think so. I think I think Ireland, obviously, if you look at how Samoa uh, tactically played, they played the conditions perfectly. And Sopoanga, um, while he missed that kick to touch near the end, I thought he gave them um, that kind of game management that they, they have lacked in the past. And obviously, he's he's one of the players who they benefit from being able to uh, re-qualify for, for Samoa. But along with Luatua and... Um, you know some of the other players who who've come back. I thought they they look they look really good, and you know England watch out. I mean, um, so they they were they were sharp. We obviously didn't have a full strength team. I felt that we were trying to overplay a little bit, um, but without having that kind of, I suppose, security of ball retention, without having a good set piece launch, um, the types of kicks that they were putting on us were contestable, so it was easier for them to shut us down. Whereas against England, they were kicking long, and we were getting to to bring it back at them and, and fall, fall into shape. So I felt felt probably Ireland were trying to, I suppose, get more attack into their game because we didn't really weren't food and attack against Italy or England, and because of that, we we didn't play the conditions uh, and got into a into a battle. And obviously, we could see the try from a kind of an intercept from long range when. Look like we we maybe are going to score, and then they get ahead, and 
you know, um, it's a little bit messy and disjointed. Um, but I wouldn't read on into it. Obviously, the players knew the squad at that stage, and it's very difficult not to to think, geez, if I get injured here, you know, um, I'm not going to make the trip because it's so late. So, uh, plus the fact that we're missing quite a good few frontliners. So I think it was just a game. Get a Farrell wanted to get down there, play a game late at night, get down to France. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's effectively what it served its purpose. And as you said, there were some funny results this weekend or funny performances. And uh, I think with the fact that we play Romania first up, we have another hit out that we don't have to, don't have to worry about. Yeah, is that key, Mick? Ultimately, no disrespect to Romania, but results over the last few months would show that they're really not up, up to it at the moment. Essentially, that first game of the World Cup is like an extra warm-up game. Not very much so. Look, Romania are... They're on a different level to where Ireland are at the moment, uh, obviously. Um, so it will will be a good chance for for guys to get a bit of mileage in their legs. I know a lot of guys have have played the majority of the warm-up games, but the guy I'm mentally ta- men, uh, mainly talking about is Johnny Sexton. So it'll be great for him to hopefully get get 80 minutes under his belt and um, kind of build that co- cohesion in a, in a game scenario, you know. Uh, and just get yeah, get some get some minutes into his legs, some minutes into his lungs. On very quickly on Samoa before we we move on, uh, quite impressive at times, and just another spanner thrown into that that pool D mix. I'll tell you an interesting one here now. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, an old friend of mine he texted me saying, "What would you think if I was to make a li- a little bet on Samoa to win pool D?" And I said. Away, you're an absolute madman. I mean, that's that's just nonsense. Now, he texted me back on Saturday night saying he showed me the screen grabs as well. He put his his little fiver on them to win Pool D a few weeks ago, 225 to 1. After the game against Ireland, they'd gone into 30 to 1 to win Pool D. Now, I don't necessarily think they're actually going to win Pool D, but Birch, do you reckon they've they've got an outside shot of sneaking into a quarter final at least? Because I mean that that pool is wide open. Yeah. I think they have. I think they have. I don't think they're look at they're I don't know as good as Fiji. Um there's still deficiency in, in their game. Uh I actually thought their backfield was quite poor. Uh and you saw Crowley trying to trying to hurt that, but they have a lot of power. Um they're better organized than ever. They have that mix of experience. So yeah, they could. I mean I still think England have to improve, surely, but um. Yeah, you wouldn't mind, wouldn't mind being. What's he on a two fifty, two hundred fifty to one, two twenty five to one, two twenty five to one. Yeah, it's good. It's good value anyway. Yeah. Uh, In fairness, uh, I said to him, I wouldn't have made the bet, but if it was two twenty five to one, I might throw in a couple of. Quid yeah. No. No. Fairness. Um. It'd be great to be. Look at. I think it's brilliant to see those Pacific <laughs> Island nations better equipped. I think that's. You know, I'd be critical of world rugby around somebody officiating and things like that, but, um, I think. They are giving them a better chance, and some of that's down to the fact that two teams in Super Rugby, uh, but being able to bring back the likes of uh, Luatua, um, and Asapuanga, I think you know, and some of the players that Tonga have, Fekatoa, etc., um, is is massive. It's massive. It just gives the talent that they naturally have a little bit more support around us, and um, I think yeah, the Tonga obviously we've got to face, but um, I think all three should have really good World Cups. Um, to move on from from the Ireland game, the weekend started in fairly explosive fashion. South Africa against New Zealand. I have to say, a, g- a good while back when I saw South Africa and New Zealand were playing each other at Twickenham a couple of weeks out from the World Cup, I was thinking this is going to be a bit dull, a bit of an anticlimax. And I know the scorelines would suggest it might be an anticlimax, Birch. It was anything but. What an absolutely full-blooded test match that was. Yeah, the Qatar Cup was it? Um, yeah, the prestigious Qatar Airlines Cup. It brought um, it, it brought like the the atmosphere there was brilliant. I mean, it shows yeah. you how what the demand for something like that, and you'd wonder should it nearly play a rugby championship game in the Northern Hemisphere um, and and benefit commercially from it. Look at it, the All Blacks just didn't perform. They didn't fire. I know they flew in Tuesday. I think eight of their players hadn't played for four weeks. And they looked a little bit like they weren't just mentally tuned in. Obviously, there could have been jet lag and a bit of lack of match practice. But so they were a little bit off. They're better than that. And I wouldn't write them off by any manner of means. Um, but South Africa treated that like, you know, it was it was a it was a fully blown test match or or a World Cup game and were were very impressive and laid down a 
a marker and the type of wind that they got, they'll get massive confidence from that. And Razzie's pumping her tires up as well. Um, you know, talking about um 2019 was nearly an accident, you know, it was a surprise because it was all about 2023. And you look at her squad and you, you, you do see a squad who have the most depth. They have the most depth. And I'm not talking about the bomb squad. I'm actually talking about even deeper than that. Um, and you look at some of the players who are missing at the weekend. Uh, so I think they have the two best 15s in in, in, the, in this World Cup going into it. Um, but obviously you can only play um, 23 of them and, and they are going to be a big challenge. But um, yeah, they're still look at you can't judge. I can't, I don't think you can over um pump up that. I think you can over pump up that result as well. You got to take into the fact that New Zealand was weren't at the races. Um, they're a really interesting case mix South Africa, where I know they've like they've expanded their game a bit in the last couple of years, but still very much you know exactly what you're going to get from them. It's just a case of whether or not you can stop it. It's not like maybe an Ireland, France, or New Zealand where. There are a few things that might be throwing at you. You really, when it comes to South Africa, you know what the strengths are. It's just whether or not you're going to be able to match it. And like ultimately, they played to the to the height of those strengths on on Friday night, and New Zealand didn't have any answers. Ah, for sure, they're just South Africa, are just pure violence. Um, and you know, it's not just a South African team; it's it's South Africans in general, like. Birch will tell you he would have played with with a lot of them over the years. I've I've played with a lot of them. Um and they're just physical people, you know, they're just hard, hard people. And um, you know, that that game was, you know, g- gave a classic indication of that. Um, you know, good few early latches, um, big clear outs, like hard at the breakdown, hard in the carry, set piece naturally was was how it always is with South Africa top class what what I really enjoyed about them and it's something that Roddy Grant used to say up in Ulster a lot he was like we want our mall to be so good that it actually gives us an opportunity to do more trick plays you know I think I think with with South Africa um the other night obviously mauled incredibly well in the first half and then I think maybe first line out of the second half they do that they do that move around the front and Marks goes over you know, after that, another couple of malls where you can you can see the All Blacks are going, Jesus, I'd imagine Jace Ryan at halftime was saying, we're going to need to plow into this, lads. Otherwise, we're we're in big trouble, you know. Then late on in the game, they do that peel play uh, around the back on, on the All Blacks five and, and score as well. So it's it's nice to see them have that bit of variety um, on top of the, the mall and brawl that they just they naturally have um but they're they're going to be seriously dangerous going into this world cup that was that was well known before the game against the all blacks the other night but uh massive men just just you know trying to go over the top of everyone and you know if nothing else that's very entertaining to watch yeah and you could see the you could make you could see the fear that the all blacks had or maybe at the very least the awareness they had of how strong the South African mall was in those first 10 minutes where it was penalty after penalty after penalty. I think it was four penalties in a row for, for mall infringements in those opening 10 minutes. And we're pretty much lucky to actually avoid getting a yellow card there initially. I know they ended up getting two yellow cards in the first 15 minutes anyway, but even inside five, six minutes, the all blacks were gifted to not give away a yellow card. Like the, as you said, the damage it does where if they're constantly worried about it and ultimately the one time then you don't go for a mall that just throws something different at them as well. Completely. Um, I felt, you know, when I seen Lomax go down and a Newell come on, in, in my mind, the way the all the way South Africa had started from Seppi's point of view, I was thinking, Jesus, this is a bit of a perfect storm. Um, and you know, you, you'd have to think, I don't know now, but um Razi Erasmus, this is purely based off my own perception, strikes me as being quite a quite a direct character. So I'd be interested to know whether he sits down the six or seven forwards that are going to be coming off and says to them, okay, look, you've you've 40, 50 minutes to to burst your bollocks here, and then we're gonna bring these other six mutants off the bench. Uh so for huh? Seven mutants. Seven mutants, yeah, seven <laughs> mutants on Friday. So uh 
you know, it's it's a case of for for Pearl Fletcher Newell, who hasn't hasn't played a huge amount, and um, for him to be staring down the barrel of maybe a, a sixty minute shift against firstly a, a relatively fresh Stephen Kitsoff and Malcolm Marks, and then you know those two lads roll off, and suddenly Umbanambi and uh, Ox Notche are coming on. Like I'd say, you could have had seven, like fifteen lads behind him, and he still would be in bollocks. Let's talk then about that that seven one split, which depending on what side of the fence you're sitting on over the last couple of days, it's either the the most heinous crime against the values of rugby or it's the greatest innovation we've ever seen. Birch, where are you where are oh, you no. sitting on this scale? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And I, I think I try not to listen to any other podcasts or read read too much um about it, but unfortunately it's I've got the a taste of what some of the Irish pundits are saying. Yeah, it's, what, it's been hard to on my Twitter feed, on my Twitter feed, or whatever, and, and obviously the backlash from from South Africa um, against that. I, I I personally believe that um, we should be lauding coaches who are taking risks or being creative, right? And obviously they have a profile of player that a lot of us don't have. We like a lot of countries couldn't continent. A lot of countries are would be afraid to go six two. Um, because it doesn't suit the profile of players they have, but they have this squad, and I think they should be allowed uh, and encouraged to play that. And I would love to play against South Africa if they went seven one. You know, for Ireland, for example, I don't think they will. I don't think they will. But there's a massive risk to that. There's a risk, and I know Quagga uh, has played 140 or 50 games at sevens, and he could play in the centre or or on the wing. I know that France have Makalu who can play seven or winger, etc. Fair play to them. You know what I mean? The hybrid player, um, it, it, it increases the multi-skilled player's opportunity to play at the highest level for their country. And there's a risk. I mean, uh, and I don't know if Razzie, I don't, look at it, it happened last minute. Um, and I don't know if Razzie would do it against, you know, New Zealand, or sorry, uh, yeah, uh, New Zealand or France in a quarterfinal or Ireland in a, in a pool game because, if you get an injury to a back early, I mean, look, it's not so long ago there was a big debate about is it is it crazy to go six two if and it is crazy or sorry it backfires if there's injuries earlier and also I would say it was twenty one nil to South Africa when they brought on those that that's those subs the first choice pack had done the damage you know what I mean it wasn't nothing to do with um, the bench coming on and winning the game late and player safety and all that nonsense um, it is fearsome. Um, and you got to be able to deal with it. And I think from a New Zealand point of view, it's very interesting because Jason Ryan went into the All Blacks coaching staff last summer and he was the forwards coach, uh, scrum coach, forwards coach for the Crusaders. And they hadn't conceded a mall try, I think, about three seasons. And a lot of other teams kind of studied the Crusaders' mall defence and said, oh, that's the way forward. And, and effectively, for that to get completely um, torn up and bullied uh, and destroyed... Uh, late in the game to a World Cup cycle is it's gonna be interesting how the, the the All Blacks kind of re-strategize or whether it's just a case they just didn't uh implement it properly. But um that's the kind of stuff I love. I love seeing you know a strategy that is, looks foolproof the other teams are copied and then have the all black have, have the box found a way of you know of actually taking that apart. And will that prove to be a, a key weapon for them in this World Cup or have they shown their hand now Obviously, they're bigger and stronger than everyone else um, as a as a collective. But other teams, I mean, I look back at Ireland, Ireland's game against them in November, and Ireland opened up a lot of opportunities against them. Now we didn't take them all, and and we ended up getting into a tight battle. But there's space there, and that was probably the 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 most probably annoying thing from an all back point of view is they didn't look like they knew how to handle that mad rush. In actual fact, they played into it. And obviously, then you know the All Blacks get ahead. Or sorry, the Box get ahead. I think if the Box get ahead of you, it's very hard to ping them back. Um, but a little bit like Leicester in the Premiership under Bortwick, if you get ahead of them, uh, they don't really. They have to then open up a little bit, and they're not as anywhere near as good. So, um, yeah, I love I love the bit of creativity by Drazi. And as I said, uh, there's an inherent risk to it, and that's that's what we want. We shouldn't be talking about changing the rules or. Or player safety, I think that's absolute nonsense. And it's sour gray. It's it's fear from. It sounds like you're scared. You know what I mean? You're yeah. scared, and and uh, just do what you do well, and and be able to beat them. Yeah, and I think over the last couple of days, the biggest thing that's just gone missing is the the mention of the risk, where yeah. it's it's kind of just been presented as this foolproof idea of put 
put seven or eight forwards into your pack and you're going to win every game. But as you said, they had what Cobus Reinach as their as their only back. You pick up an injury to an outside center to someone like Kanan Moody or something, someone like that, or or, or inside of Andre Esterhays, and all of a sudden they were at a pinch of trying to move players around and and get things correct. So I mean, one bad injury and that plan goes goes up in smoke, and you actually are in a lot of trouble as well. Mick, what's what side of the fence are you on in this? I completely agree with Birch. Um, you know, if teams are if teams want to try different things or they want to, you know, I suppose be creative around what their plan is going into games, you know, that there is there is a level of risk as we've discussed, but you know, as we've seen on Friday night, there's also massive reward that can come from that as well. Um, you know, as Birch mentioned, Quagga Smith has played he has a huge amount of experience in sevens. So like the, the risk obviously is if he does have to come on on the wing, like you're you're trying to drop bombs on him as much as possible for for the rest of the game from a kicking strategy point of view. You know, but then obviously it worked out the other night that there was no there was no injuries in the back three for South Africa and he came on and, and pilfered a load of ball. So yeah. The the funny thing as well, actually, just the fact that it was Quagga Smith. I mean I know he's a forward, but he's actually on the lighter and smaller, smaller mm-hmm. side of of things when it comes to a forward. I mean, in theory, you could have a far bigger back out there than Quagga Smith. Absolutely, like Quagga Smith, you know, uh, again comes from comes from a hard farming background. Um, like you can you can see from from his makeup, you know, his nose is essentially on the back of his head. Uh, <laughs> So he's your he's your typical kind of South African groundhog, and um, and you know I think I I think it's from a squad strength point of view as as Birch mentioned to bring on someone like him who's who's a little bit different from a pilfering point of view. Obviously, Mark Malcolm Marks when when he's playing he's he's really hard in the ball, and um, Dwayne from Eulen he's he's good in a jackal as we've seen early in the game the other night, but. Uh, Quagga Smith, for what I've seen of him, he's the kind of guy that's really, really clever in terms of the breakdowns he goes into. And the ones that he does go into, he always seems to have a really positive impact. Final point on, on South Africa then, and I'll put it to both of you first. first. Um, disregarding 7-1 splits or however many forwards they're going to have on a bench or whatever, in general, how are you feeling about South Africa now compared to this time last week? As a as an Irish as an Irish person, oh, look, I, I, they're bang on form. They look in great shape, um, physically. That they'll get huge benefit from that. Like I think we would need to hit our hit our straps against Tonga. You know, in terms of get our attacking game really flowing to be able to go into that game confident. As I said, you look back at that game in November, and I'd urge anyone to do it. Um, they're there was a lot, there was a real smart strategy behind how Ireland tried to pick holes in that defence. And as I said, the final pass didn't always go to hand and, and that we let them off the hook. And it's not easy. It's it's not easy. Everything has to be done to the absolute limit of um of perfect execution. But I remember speaking to some of the coaching players after that, and they felt they left a couple of scores behind. And the reality is I think there's it, it's probably one score between us and South Africa. Um so yeah, I, I think we can we can un- unlock them. I don't think I don't think you can go in and try and match some power, the power game and the kicking game. You gotta play your way. And and thankfully we have a, a clear identity now of how we play. And with our starters with Johnny back in, um another three and a half weeks is it, um, I think we'll be up and running then and, and, and go toe to toe with him. And make a lot of people are talking about I've seen a lot of people talking about how is it a case of prioritizing the South Africa game over Scotland or prioritizing the Scotland game over South Africa? But the fact that there's two weeks between those two games and they have a, an empty weekend in between the two of them as well. Realistically, a team like Ireland can go hell for leather all out for both of those games. And if they do it and they lose against South Africa, it doesn't mean that they're going to be any worse off against Scotland. They should and absolutely could go hell for leather in both of those. Absolutely. I think we couldn't be better set up from a fixture and schedule point of view. And we should be aiming to go hell for leather into every game. You know, looking from a mentality point of view as well, like winning's a habit. 
you know, we're on a, I think it's 13 game 13. winning streak at the moment. So I can't imagine anyone in the Ireland setup is thinking they're going to go into any of the games in any way half hours to think, oh, sure, look, we can, we can lose this one. We'll pick back up for the next one. Not to say that you're, you're saying that now either, Neil. Um, but I think they'll, they'll be saying this comes around once every four years, you know, this is the biggest show in town, whatever about being like very good over the last number of years. At the end of the day, this is really all that counts. And this is the one that Ireland haven't won either, stating the obvious. So I'd imagine um they'll be they'll be mustered to to hammer into every opportunity they can get from a game point of view. Yeah, I absolutely can't wait for those two games already. Um final final thing we'll talk about, guys, very quickly. England beaten by Fiji. I mean, that was the the result of the weekend. Uh, even considering South Africa thrashing New Zealand, but first we've we've spoken about England pretty much every week now over these last four weeks on the podcast. Uh, week on week, confidence looks shattered. The attack has been something we've constantly been talking about, but it's got to a point now where their defense actually looks even more of a pressing concern than the attack itself. Yeah, the defense is horrific, and it was against Ireland as well. To uh, to be fair, when you look back at how easily we opened them up without even being. At our best, and it's it's crazy because it, like Sinfield and and Bortwick and now Wigglesworth and the whole Leicester staff, even the scrum coaches, they're there together now, and they've had this group for whatever the guts of two months, and um, you know, even some of the players are saying that they're not training well. There's balls being dropped in in training, the intensity's poor, and like what Bortwick's vision of how the game should be played. And that's why he was able to go into Leicester and actually have a have a quick bounce quickly because it's not rocket science. It's just doing the basics very, very well. And they're not even doing those. And if they don't defend well, there's no point kicking the ball away as much as you do because you're going to get punished. So, but the end, they don't look equipped to keep the ball either. Um, it's bizarre. And you look at the experience in the squad, you look at those individuals um, in that squad uh, in terms of what they've done at international level, last World Cup final, etc. And it's mind-boggling. And they just look, bereft of all um all spontaneity energy you know a sense of fun enjoyment um and it's going to be a huge task for him an inexperienced coach obviously well regarded an expert in what he does particularly around the line out etc but um to get them back up now and uh the this the i suppose the the fallout with the public the rugby public forty thousand odd in twickenham i mean the last game before like the, the World Cup it just shows you I mean we could sell out the Viva for for kind of a World Cup friendly as such at, at quite high ticket prices and you know Twickenham the home of rugby is is, is half full uh, but people and it, it was it was it was full the night before yeah, for a neutral full of, game exactly it's, it's, it, well it just shows you people now actually started the, the problem was for the RFU even though the product was terrible it was still full houses um, and I think now they're, they're realising that uh, they need to actually do something more so this World Cup you know, I said, uh, like, it was everyone presumed they were getting the semi-final. They're not going to get to the semi-final unless there's a, mar- a marked improvement. And um, it's hard to see where it's going to come from. And Mick, I think the, the most bizarre thing about it was Fiji winning by eight points in the end. I don't know what you thought. I didn't actually think Fiji were that good. They, they, you know, they, they scored three tries off the back of having no real set-piece platform. Like, Ultimately, England gifted the win to Fiji. And I'm not trying to take anything away from, from what they did, but I'm pretty sure I've seen Fiji play a lot better a handful of times and lose by 20 points. Oh, for sure. Like, as we, as we mentioned earlier, I think there's been, there's just been an unbelievable uh, opportunity for the likes of Fiji and the likes of the uh, your Manu Samoa and your... Uh, Fiji and Drua playing in that Super Rugby competition, you know, uh, I know you're saying that set piece, like it, it didn't look particularly good, but it's it's so much better than what it has been in in previous years. Like I, I feel like I feel like Fiji have just had so many uh, barriers of entry to actually unleash the individuals that they have. You know, I thought Caleb Munts had had a really good game at ten. Thought he managed the game really really well because there has there was a bit of a uh kickback on on volleyball not not making the squad you know um and like Fiji don't have to be they don't have to be mauling over the top of 
teams or they don't have to have an, an incredible scrum. They just need to do enough to actually give their outside men an opportunity to get into the game. Um, and going back to, you know, the, the benefits of those teams being in that competition, being in a strong domestic competition, if you just look at Japan, you know, the, the Sunwolves obviously aren't in Super Rugby anymore. So they just have, they have Japanese top league where it's it's a high standard with the with with the international players being being dropped in to get their payday or whatever. But the fact they're not playing against quality opposition really week on week, like the New Zealand and the Australian teams, um it's it's been highlighted in how they've gone so far in their World Cup World Cup warm up games, getting hockey by Italy, you know, uh losing to losing to Samoa or Tonga. I can't, I can't remember which one it was. Uh but going back to your to your initial point, um Fiji didn't play particularly well. Set piece wasn't great, but at the same time they did enough to give their outside men an opportunity to actually get into the game. And then, you know, it's it's a funny one. We were speaking about Simfield there. He obviously went pretty well with Leicester from from an from a defensive point of view, but as Birch would, would be able to tell you better than I would, the the international step up is like it's huge, you know, and to see to see kind of Simfield struggling from like or England's defense kind of struggling under Simfield, and then myself and uh Birch would have played would have played under Mike Forshaw as well in in Connacht, you know, and he's obviously looking after Wales and and they're they're not looking too hot defensively either, you know. So whether there's something around the the league background that these guys have have come from, I don't know. I'm basically just throwing that out there uh it's going to be very interesting to see if they can they can get it together in time for the world cup yeah i just on that make i think look at i think there's been more failed rugby league converts to defense coaching than than successes i mean for every sean edwards there's there's five or six others um and even if you look at farrell farrell is probably uh, had his best success as a head coach, you know what I mean, and being a, that figurehead. And I'm not saying he wasn't a good defense coach, but for him and Sean Edwards are probably the two biggest uh, successes. But there's been many tried in Australian rugby, a huge amount of NRL converts as well. And Sinfield's team, Sinfield's obviously a huge motivator and a leader, but wow, their defensive system is uh, is nearly non-existent. And, and then you had Borpik after the game talking about, oh, you know, we need to, we were falling off tackles, we need to work harder on our tackle tech, like. In you know yourself, most pros international players have have okay tackle tech. You could question Billy Vunapola and Farrells over the last couple of weeks, but for different reasons, right? They weren't they were connecting, um, whereas the, the the English players weren't even um weren't in position to make hits, and it's going to be difficult. I think when you look back at what he did with Leicester, I don't know if you the background to Bortwick's success at Leicester is a little bit of a moneyball story. Um, his recruitment was really shrewd. You know, he he hired this outsourced this. His, uh, his a lot of his advice to a, a stat-based company who were able to say, look, this guy can give you 15 minutes off the bench and he can do X, you know, and he'll fit into your salary cap. And But also he brought in Liebenberg and, and Jasper um, Visa, who bully, and Montagna the, hook, Montagna the hooker from Argentina. At premiership level, they can bully people, you know, and they did, and they got him on the front foot. Whereas, let's be honest, the English forwards at the moment, Toje is way off. Um, ben Earls has had some good moments. Courtney Law is not too bad, but realistically, that English pack individually or collectively aren't bullying anybody. So his his forwards aren't on the front foot like they were for Leicester. And then if you're on the front foot as forwards, the kicking game becomes easier. Um, you win more balls back in the air, etc. So it's it's a big big fix. But I think yeah, they have an easier group. But I think now they're going to start looking over their shoulder about you know can they actually qualify from it? And Samoa Samoa will be licking their lips. Well, that leads me Definitely. very nicely. Go ahead, Max. Sorry, sorry, I was just gonna I was just gonna say there. Uh, fo- following on from from Birch's point around around system, looking at looking at England and Wales over the last couple of weeks, you'd question whether there is a system in place. You know, because the messaging that that I would have gotten working with rugby league defense coaches in the past is like, get the baseball bat out and get up and twat them. You know that that was essentially what you were told. Just get in a position where you can get off the line and get up and hit someone as hard as you can. But you know, I, I on the flip side of that, I've sat in plenty of reviews where, you know, my team was in defense and they had a seven man overlap, and the defense coach is saying, just 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 get off the line. Just just get off and get off and hit someone, you know, as opposed to trying to 
shepherd them to the touchline or or giving up a few yards so that you can, you know, somewhat try and put out a fire. Um so I think it's I think it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to see over over the coming weeks uh what the players do to kind of get things sorted, you know, because at the end of the day it's if if the if the defense coaches are happy enough with, with how things have been going, which I'm sure they aren't, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speak for them. Um the, the players will will have to put a put a bit of a plan in place so that they can they can be effective and win games essentially. Just so final point, sorry, Neil. Final yeah. point on on this, uh, and you know, Mick tied in uh, Wales nicely. Of the three countries that change coach, Latin, uh, uh, Lace, Wales, England, and Australia, they've only won five games in total um, since they made that change. And I think Wales beating Ling beat Wales. That's two of them. So you know, uh, for any CEO out there, uh, unless there's a big change at this World Cup, that last kind of minute panic hasn't brought immediate success um, anyway and obviously Wales lost to um, you know Wales, Wales have just been very very poor the only yeah, the only bright spot was beating England in that first warm up game really so um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be tight the the last bit I'll finish up then with on England just very very quickly and I'll put it to both the uh, almost in a word will England still get to a quarter final going to your head yes yes to me just about yeah, I think they will. And did they get to a semi-final? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I can't I can't wait for a potential England-Australia. The only reason I want England to get to a quarter-final is so they can go up against Eddie Jones, potentially, in a quarter-final. But um, fingers crossed we'll get to see that. But listen, we're out of time, guys. Thanks a million. That's all we have time for this week. We'll be back next week with a slight change of plan, slight twist for the next few weeks, because we're going to be bringing you two podcasts each week on the RT Rugby podcast for the duration of the Rugby World Cup. First of those will be up on either Monday or Tuesday, and then we'll have a second one later on in the week. We'll uh, figure out the fine details in the next few days. But until then, we'll speak to you soon.